find ways to appreciate people. That which you appreciate appreciates in value. So your leadership is defined by how much better you can make people. And as I said before, people are starving for appreciation. This is Lead with Culture. I'm Kate Volman, and on this episode, we dig into entrepreneurship, leadership, personal growth, and so many great topics with my guest, Dr. Craig Spodak. He is a third-generation dentist with a dream to change the way patients experience dental care. He became the leader of the practice in 2006 and immediately began to develop a new vision of the modern dental practice with the goal to deliver comprehensive dental care from a team of general and specialty dentists. We talked about his entrepreneurial journey. We talked about growing a business. We talked about personal growth and development, something that was really key to his leadership journey. He is also the dentist of Mr. Tony Robbins. We talked a little bit about that and what that is like and what he was able to learn from him. And at the end, I asked him a question around what activity that you can do in 10 minutes or less to help you become a better leader. And I think you're really gonna enjoy his answer. So please enjoy this episode. Okay, Dr. Craig Spodak, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited about our conversation. Likewise, I'm excited to be here, Kate. This is going to be fun. I always really enjoy our conversations and they go in lots of different directions about business and life and all the things. Today, we're going to focus a lot on culture and leadership. And obviously, you're a very successful entrepreneur. A lot of experience and a lot of different things. But before we dig into all that stuff, what is your definition of leadership? So I have a very specific definition of leadership, and I don't know where I got it from, so I'm sure I stole it from somewhere. But you know what they say, if you take from one person, it's plagiarism. If you take from many, it's research. So I do a lot of research. My definition for leadership is because of you, someone or something is better. So by that definition, it broadens the net for who is a leader. And it's funny because a lot of people, when I talk to them, especially support team and employees and people that are not the boss, you ask them, are you a leader? And they'll very quickly say they're not. And I love to challenge that and push on people for that. Ooh, so that's interesting that you say that because I do think there's a lot of quote unquote leaders that don't necessarily act in a way that we would think that leaders would act. And then there's so many people that are doing incredible things in the world and they don't self-identify as a leader. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so hard for people to admit essentially everyone is a leader at some part of their life? Yeah, I remember reading a Simon Sinek book a long time ago. I think it might have been Leaders Eat Last, but he actually said something pretty poignant in that book. It was like when you're on an elevator and the elevator doors are closing and someone's running towards the closing doors, there's a person that would put their hand in the doorway to open it for that person. And that person's a leader. Like there's this certain narrative, I think, for humans and we're tribal animals and we are programmed to have two fears. One is a fear of death to keep us alive or else we do silly things. The other fear we have is a fear of belonging, being within the tribe. So being kicked out of the tribe, not belonging means death because as tribal animals, if you're kicked out of the tribe, you're going to get eaten by a lion or whatever. So leadership requires you to step outside the tribe. It requires you to step outside of the group and stand in front to take into a new direction. And by virtue of that, there's a narrative that says I can be kicked out. Like, who am I to do that? Am I worthy to do that? So I think it's a worthiness conversation and a deserve conversation. So it's a dialogue that we're talking, a narrative that we're saying to ourselves, like, am I really worthy 
to make a difference? Am I worthy to take this in a new direction? So that's my thought process around it. And I also want to just touch on one thing, Kate, you gave me some really nice compliments in the intro, but there's been levels to my development, like all of us. And there were periods of time, maybe even years or a decade or so, where I was really not a leader. I was a subtractor. I was a panic animal running around my business, scared of everything, scared of failing. And people have a tendency to be able to feel what you believe in your heart. And if your primary thing that you're running around is like, no one gives a crap or I'm going to fail, you're not a great leader. There was many years where I was a very poor leader. I was diminishing the organization. So it wasn't like this was all roses and sunshine. This has been a very painful path. I have never heard it put that way, but I love that people feel what you believe. Then that is so true. Like that is why we are attracted to confidence. We are attracted to those that really have that vision for whatever it is that they're building. And then we are attracted to follow those people. But I love your level of self-awareness because that's what we should be doing, right? We need to be self-aware in what do we do well? What can we be improving? And by doing that ourselves, we're able to become better leaders for the people that work with us. It's interesting because you have the personal development guru in your life because you are the dentist of Mr. Tony Robbins himself. So I'm sure that you've gained a lot of insight just by being around a human like that. What is that like? Yeah, so I'm really blessed in the fact that I have a lot of great people in my world. And whether it's osmosis or just being, you know, proximity, but you start observing. If you're an observant person, you start seeing these overarching trends that successful people have in their life. And Tony being one of those people, you may know him from being on stage or the stuff he does on YouTube. I have a chance to get to know him on a personal level, being a patient of the practice for so long and his wife and his family. What's beautiful about Tony is it's all real. So the way he treats his wife, Bonnie Pearl, or the way he behaves with the team when he's here, he is the same person all the time. He has such a genuine care to transform everybody he interacts with. And it made it so much more powerful to see the practice in private because I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of people that have a lot of notoriety. And sometimes who you see on the big stage or whatever is not really the person. So it's really refreshing and beautiful to see this iconic human force of personal development actually live, breathe, and do it on a daily. It's really cool. But I mean, I have a lot of regular friends that are just highly successful that had no degree of notoriety, and they've transformed my life just as much. I have this qualifier in order to become my good friend. I have to want to be more like you in some way. So if there's a person in my life that's been my friend for a long time, I went to high school with them, and there's nothing really in their life that I really want more of that in my life, I'm discerning with the time. I'm not going to cut you out, but I have to be discerning with how much time I spend with you. Because it's like that saying, you show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future. And I think a lot of us feel guilty that we're discerning with our friends because we have a friend that's kind of just tagged along, you know, over time. And just because you've had a lot of time, I know this sounds really harsh, but I think that you need to curate your friend circle. And and that doesn't mean success and finances and stuff like that. You could be friends with an artist, but we're both friends with Sal. Sal's a common friend we have here in Delray Beach, Florida, and he's a free spirit, artistic, and kind of like a struggling artist, but I just love who he is and his creative ability. I'm loving it because it's reminding me of a couple things. One, I love that you mentioned what success looks like in all different areas. It's not just financial. There are some people in my life who 
are yoga teachers and instructors, and they have this calm and peace about them that I'm like, ooh, that feels really good to have every single day. So it's things like that. I also remember years ago, I heard somebody talk about, they said in your life, surround yourself with plus one, minus one, and equal. And it was that idea of like plus one, you always have people that are above you. You really strive to be more like them and you really value their leadership or their abilities. And then you have people who are minus, which and on a bad way, it's just, hey, you're a few steps above them. So you can teach them something, kind of lift them up and help them grow. And then you've got those equals where you're like, you're kind of in the same group. You're in the same place in your career and your mindset, all that stuff. And then you get to grow together. And I really loved that way of looking at it because it's essentially saying what you're talking about. But you do have to be really discerning of who those people are and how much time you're spending in each of those buckets. Take out a piece of paper and write that list down. And who do you hang out with and where do you see And this also offers you an opportunity to become a coach to some of those people that might be in that negative that you feel like, I really like them and I would love to support them more and help them grow. So I really like that. And by the way, Kate, one person could be a plus and a minus. So you could have a friend who is unbelievably helpful in one domain, but then you help that person in another domain. So it's not that everybody's all pluses and minuses. We're all works in progress and we all have values and strengths and weaknesses. So I look at it very much like that. It's always be learning, but always be teaching. And you learn better when you're teaching. And that's why, you know, with my consulting company, it's probably been the single greatest source of happiness and fulfillment for me because I get to work on other people's problems that just so happen to be my problems as well. So I work on fulfillment issues with a lot of people. Like these people will tell me, I'm making all the money. I've got everything going right. I just can't be happy. And I get to whittle down this stuff with them and in the process really work on my own fulfillment. So I love the idea that you should have an active teaching, mentoring, coaching practice. I think it's the greatest blessing for anybody to have that. You said that you were not always a good leader. And I love that you admit that openly. We're not all natural born leaders, but I'm curious, did you know that at the time? And then did you have to make a decision to become a better leader? And what did that journey look like for you? In 2008, before I really expanded my business, I set out and I created like a game plan. I call it a vision. It was a descriptive vision, but the word vision freaks people out. It sounds like you took like ayahuasca in the desert or something. It was just the game plan. So I wrote out a day in my life for five years in the future. So it was October of 2008, and I wrote this thing for 2013. And I described a day in my life. Like I woke up, it inspires me when I see the building that I work in. I talked about the people and how I was so excited about the personal growth of the people in the organization. So I set this high watermark for what I wanted to achieve very specifically. It wasn't like I want to make a million dollars and blah, blah, blah. It was like a feeling of how I felt about it and how proud I was with the team. And what I realized is as I built the organization, started growing it, because in 2008, I had like six people. And by 2013, I had 35. So what I realized was the major impediment to my growth was people can feel what you believe. So I was not the type of person to typically lose my cool overtly or get angry or shout. I was angry and upset inside. Tony has this concept about your primary question. What is it you're always asking? Kindly, silently always asking. And in my work life, 
the primary question I had is why am I the only one around here who cares? Why am I the only one that's holding the bag? Why does no one care enough? And Kate, like you said that you liked when you're thinking that I don't care what nice words come out of your mouth, your body, your language, your psychology is emanating. You don't give a crap to everyone. And it's really disheartening to those who actually do care. So I think to distill it down, the primary question that I had then is why does no one care? Now, honestly, my real feeling is I feel people care so much. I feel like almost guilty, honored. It's a privilege. Like this Monday or Tuesday was boss's day. And I was like, guys, I don't want to be celebrated. I want to turn boss's day into team appreciation day. And I really genuinely believe that I might've said the same thing in 2013, but I didn't believe it. I was saying it for the optics and what changed is I changed, my thoughts changed and people could feel that people can feel when you actually say, Hey, I want to celebrate you and you mean it versus like optics. I don't want to be celebrated. That's okay. I don't need the boss designation. Now it's like, I feel like it's an honor to serve the people. I actually said it on Boss's Day. I'm like, guys, thanks for allowing me to be a boss. Like, this is a privilege to be in a situation. So it's just a psychological shift. I love that. And you can tell so much. So everything has energy, right? Like everything is energy. We feel energy when we walk into a building, when we meet a person. And when I walk into your office, it just has this feeling of positivity and every single person that you pass by or that you're in the room with they're also kind and helpful and obviously that does not just happen and so as you have built your team what have you done over the years or have you at all shifted your kind of hiring process to hire the right people and then develop those people so that everyone in the office that is working there like does what needs to be done in order to make your patients feel so great about going to a place they don't normally want to go, the dentist. <laughs> yeah, so I'm smiling because I, what I changed was I stopped doing the hiring. <laughs> so I, I'm a connector and I can find common ground with just about everybody. Like my strength is my ability to connect with people which is not good when you're hiring somebody because I can find the redeeming quality of everyone. And I would literally bring someone on and, you know, we have teams. So like we have a dental hygiene team that's eight strong and a doctor team. And when you do the hiring, oh, you like sushi? I like sushi too. Like, and then you bring this new hygienist on and you tell the other eight hygienists here, here's your new work wife. Hope you all get along. It's an arranged marriage. So I got out of the hiring because I just can't meet people until the team likes them because I'll like them and I'll get very involved in the process. So I stopped doing the hiring, number one. And we use a lot of very cool like strength finder tests as well to find out what people are good at and their natural tendencies and their areas that they need improvement and how they're going to interact with the organization. Not that anybody is a pass fail for what we're looking for, but it creates an ability to understand how to communicate with different people. It's kind of like love languages. We all know that the book, Five Love Languages. And we all have a tendency to communicate in the language that we prefer. And for me, it's like words of affirmation. My wife doesn't need words. She needs service. My son, when he was very small, he was six years old and he was crying. I'm like, what's going to make you feel better now? If I talk to you, if I give you a stuffed animal or if I give you a hug, immediately it's a hug. So all Gavin, my son needs when he's upset is just physical touch. So we all are programmed with these different 
modalities of communication. And we have to understand that communication is not what we say, but what lands on the other person. It's our responsibility as the communicator to make sure what we mean lands on people. And we don't know that. So well through my 30s and early 40s, I'm just doing what I need. And for me, it's like, shoot me straight, tell me what I did wrong and don't compliment me. I don't need the ego. I don't need the attaboy. So that's how I gave it to everybody. And I torched a lot of people and having children helps too. You know, you understand that there's a way to mentor people and guide people. And I've been around some iconic people that have written several books and have followings as large, if not larger than Tony. And one of these guys I'll mention as a small side story was on the phone while I'm working on him. He's on speakerphone because he's like in a busy meeting and he says, okay, so Dan's having a problem. And then the other guy says, yes, yes, you need to talk to Dan. He goes to the other person. He's like, Brian, remind me, is Dan the one that doesn't have a good relationship with his dad? And Brian's like, yeah, yeah, that's the one. He's like, yes, yes. Okay, got it. I know exactly what to do with him. So he hangs up the phone. I'm like, hey, buddy, just curious. Dan's one of your employees. Do you lead people different if they have a traumatic relationship with their family? He's like, I lead everybody different. The fact that he would say, okay, Dan doesn't have a strong father figure. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. That's just shows the level of understanding of the languages of leadership. I would have never contemplated that. It's fascinating because at Floyd Coaching, we certify dream managers. And the essence of the dream manager is to treat people like people. But so much of the story was discovering the dreams of your people. And everyone has different dreams and everyone has different personalities. And so it's important for leaders to understand that and to know that because you're going to have a different relationship with that person. I remember early in my career, I was giving someone praise at a meeting. I was like, you did such an amazing job. It was like the whole thing. And I thought, because it was amazing. And I didn't find out until about a week later, she came into my office and said, I didn't want to say anything to you because I just didn't know how, but it's really been bothering me. It bothered her for a week. She said, I really was upset that you made such a big deal about my accomplishment. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah. She said, if you would have just come in my office and told me great job, that is all that I need. I do not want to be the center of attention. Like she's an introvert. Yeah. Good for her that she had the, and it's really a testament to you that you created the space that allows people to say that because a lot of people are not what you are. And they, that person would have shut down, figured it was a malicious intent to embarrass her. And so it's really a testament to creating the space where there's open and honest communication. And thankfully she did that. I know you well. It's like, I had no intent to do that. I'm so sorry. And you changed the way you praise her. But yeah, you said it. She's a raging introvert. You tell me privately something. I would say, Kate, would you mind at the meeting saying what you said again in front of everybody? I want everybody to know. Oh, you think I'm great? Do me a favor. Just tell, go on Facebook and tell everybody that. And you know, those personality type tasks that I'm sure you have many through Dream Manager, it just tells you ahead of time, are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Do you want public praise or private praise? But I want public affirmation. So it is incredibly difficult for me to rob you of the public affirmation I wish for you to receive. And that's another thing. Like, it's not about you. You have to give people what they want. And it took me a really long time to figure yeah, it out. It's not about you. It's about them. And it's also interesting because then you get so fanatical as a leader about not only the personality style, but how do they do their best work? 
when we give someone a task and this is the outcome that we're looking for, that's what's so important. How you get there is way less important because how you get there, I'm going to do it way different than somebody else is going to do it just because of the mindset. And the more that you talk through those conversations, like, tell me about your thought process. How did you go about approaching this? You and I, we're like visionaries, right? So we're like high level. And then you have people on your team that are so detailed. And I'm like, no, that is just not the place that I want to play. But you have to understand some people, they need to understand the details. Like it helps them see the vision. I, I love what you just said. And I'm a big fan of, of that concept. I think as owners or businesses or leaders, we overprocess people. We're training people like, you know, when you call like customer service and it's so rote, it's like basically a human robot. And they put you on hold and you say the same thing. And then they have the audacity to say, hey, if I resolved all your concerns, give me a 10 out of 10 or something like that. They even ask for feedback, which makes the whole process even more upsetting. I think that everything is super overprocessed. You're so right. What you said is what we're really trying to do is get to a result. So one of the big failings that I was doing is I was trying to get a process. And now I realize I want the whole human being here. I want the entire human experience to show up here. But what I do want is I want to get to a result. So for an example, in my profession, we book single appointments. And if you don't show for your appointment, that's lost time. It's really difficult because we're pushing people out to accommodate the schedules and stuff like that. So we want to get to like a 3% no-show rate, meaning 97% of the people show up. And we started off saying like, okay, confirm the day before or send out this email or all these different process points. And we never really said the goal, the goal is to get to a 3% no-show rate and nothing was changing. Cause I'm like, look, I sent out all the emails. I did exactly what you're saying. And then when we said, okay, really the goal here is to get to this, you guys figure it out immediately. All the creative juices came on and you know, the call doesn't really matter. This is what really matters. And this is what matters. And boom, it started happening, but people bought in to the process. They got a chance to weigh in. And then there was engagement. And I think we fail our people because we act like we're the smartest people in the room. And for many people who are founders, you have an inflated sense of self-worth because when you started your business, you took the credit cards, you called the customer, you did everything. And at a certain point, there's an inflection where you have to stop being the one who does everything and allow some room for other people to grow. So it's kind of like that book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. You have to transition from the person who knows and does everything to the person who guides, coaches, mm, and leads. Yeah, absolutely. Guides, coaches, and leads. Craig, you are such a lifelong learner. You read tons of books. You listen to podcasts. You have a podcast, all the things. What is one lesson that you've learned this year that is going to help you grow your business next year or the last couple of years? Yeah, so like in the last couple of years, I think the most important concept that's kind of been hitting me is you got to fix your psychology. Like Tony always says that 90% of the success and failures of a business is due to the psychology and skill set of the leader and 80% is psychology. So if your head's not right, if you're actually thinking that everybody's an idiot and you're the only one who cares without fixing that, it's going to be very difficult. So you have to find ways to appreciate and believe in your team. If you treat people as they currently are, you make them worse. If you treat people as they could be, you help them become what they're capable of being. So psychology is absolutely fundamental. Without that, you can't, I don't care what you do. I meet business owners all the time and coach them. I hear the way they talk. You know how it is. No one cares. No one wants to show up for work. I'm like, holy crap, you have to fix that first. 
And then the second thing I think that's been an overriding theme is Pearson's law. That which gets measured tends to increase. So the sheer act of owning and having a scale in your bathroom, just having a scale will make you lose weight, even if you don't intend to lose weight. So what gets measured and reported back frequently tends to improve. So as a business owner, if you have your psychology all right, but you're not looking at your sales, you're not looking at your overhead, you're not looking at your net profitability on a regular basis, things won't go well. So measure and believe, I guess in that order, believe and then measure, like believe in what you're doing, find ways to appreciate your people, celebrate small successes. What people are most starving for in the world right now is just connection. And there's a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of people that have come from traumatic homes. And at the end of the day, most human beings just need someone to believe in them. And as a boss or leader, if you could just believe in people and help them become better, what a noble thing, because it'll grow your bottom line, but it'll grow your heart and your fulfillment as well. So I look at business as this spiritual, like higher calling. It's a microcosm of how a world should operate if it was all operating to ideal standards, because there's a capital movement, like you have to give value to the customer. You have to find out what the community needs and give that to them. So that's beautiful. And then you have to take people and you should grow them. Any growth in your human capital, any asset appreciation there is massive for you. So you get rewarded with money to help people. And let's face it, when you help people, it's just good for your heart. So I think of this virtuous cycle of business. I really yeah, do. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk a little bit about thought leadership. You are obviously a leader in your space. You have a podcast. You get asked to speak all the time. You wrote a book. Like you have all of these things going on in the dentistry world. So talk about what inspired you to do that and what has that done for your business? And what are your thoughts on really continuing to grow as a leader in the industry? Yeah, thanks for that. I think that what inspired me was just high levels of failure, low emotional points in my life. It was pain. I was having a conversation with my son yesterday and he is 11 years old and he'd kill me for saying this, but you won't hear it for a long time, <laughs> probably. But he doesn't like his body right now. Like he's going to be a big kid. He's going to be tall. And, you know, little kids grow like you ever seen like a Rottweiler that are like kind of like big and clumsy. He's fit, but he wants to be fitter and he's not happy. And I said to Gavin, I'm happy you're not happy. He said, well, daddy, I thought you always want me to be happy. And I'm like, yes, but I like it when human beings are not pleased with the current situation because pain is what inspires greatness. You have to have a breakdown to have a breakthrough. And if everything's all roses and sunshine for my kids, it's not going to lead them to be happy. So he got a 93. He wants a 96 again this morning. I am happy that he's dissatisfied because I know greatness comes from that. So over the last 10 or 15 years, I've had some really dark things that happened to me. And I allowed those things to come in and overtake my world. So they were business things that were difficult. I don't have to go into them right now, but they were very, very difficult. But I overindulged in the suffering. So I could have compartmentalized it like I do now, but I allowed it to kind of come in. You've read Eckhart Tolle, right? You know, the pain body. We, mm -hmm. I think we've talked yeah. about that before. Once you're pissed off or upset, there's this like little thing that's like, yes, let's get more upset. And what else can we find to get upset about? So I went deep down that. And then through that emotional pain and suffering, that's what made me want to give it back. And that's what had me write the book. And that's what had me start coaching and consulting. And now those things, if I look back and I'm intellectually honest with myself, I would say that without those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. So 
if you're going to blame something and like attribute some loss to something, you have to like really figure out the whole gamut of what occurred because of that painful thing. Like with trees, when the wind blows hard, the roots grow wide. When the drought happens and there's no water, the roots grow deep. And humans are different. Through our challenges, we become better. And you can't resent the drought or the wind or whatever happened to you because if you're happy with where you are right now, you're a product of that good and bad. And I don't wish I could wave a magic wand for my children or for anyone listening to this to take away whatever you're going through right now. I don't want you to have pain, but I know it's part of the process and you have to have pain to go through it all. It's in our dissatisfaction that we discover what it is that we really need to do and then actually do the work. So talk about your journey in if somebody is listening and they're thinking, I want to be more of a thought leader in my industry. I want to create content. I want to put stuff out in the world, whether it's a podcast or write articles or be more highlighted on LinkedIn, whatever those pieces are. What advice would you give to a leader right now? So someone that wants to be a thought leader, my first question is why? I always start with the why, like Simon Sinek says. There's a bunch of different reasons. Let's face it, we're human. We have egos. Some are driven by significance. Some are driven by service. Significance is fine. It was probably what drove me early on in my career, kind of like, screw you, I'll do it type of thing. But it was not really rooted in something more than ego. And what shifted gears for me was trying to be valuable. My whole desire to be on this podcast with you is very low on significance, to be honest with you. I don't. Well, thanks a lot. (laughs) Well, no, it's not for the platform. It's just, of course, I'm a human being. I have an ego. I'm here to be, hey, I help somebody. But really my true wish is that there's someone listening to this and they're like, oh, this is exactly Mm. what I needed. My hope is that this is valuable for somebody. Some people will not like this and that's okay. I hate that guy. I don't care. Like as a human being, you represent things like a symbol. Some people see the cross and it's a beautiful symbol. And some people see the cross and it reminds them of a bad experience they had. So we're just symbols. We represent things and it's become less about me over the journey. And I just want, for those that are trying to be an influencer, be a person of value, start contributing, give it away first, write, document, put the content out there. The consumer of your product will tell you if it's valuable. I started the podcast. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to listen to this crap. I wrote a book with like, okay, I'm just going to put it all down. I remember we had a ghostwriter and the first conversation was, okay, so with this book, what are we selling? That's the first question. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. We don't sell anything. He's like, what do you mean? Is there a summit? Is there a, I'm like, no, there's nothing. And he was shocked. So it just goes to show you that the industry, the people that write the books, they're writing to sell something. So my advice is write to help people because if you help people, you'll be rewarded. You know, you just give it away first is my thought. Oh, I almost feel like you write the book for the you 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, I wish that I had this book, especially when you're such a voracious reader and you've learned so much stuff. You're like, oh, I know all these things now. I wish that I knew these things all wrapped up in a pretty package. You know, what's funny, Kate, is I think when I'm talking, sometimes I get a little emotional because I think I actually am talking to my prior self. Everybody is, if you really think about it. They're giving you advice, but they're really trying to give themselves advice. We're helping ourselves in the process. And there's so many people in dentistry, by the way, it's not a great industry when you look at the statistics of drug abuse and suicide and dissatisfaction. Unfortunately, dentistry is rife with fulfillment issues. I know. Why is that? I always see it on those lists of the worst professions. 
Well, it's just hard. I mean, a lot of the medical professions are, you know, we share the space with all the healthcare professions. I mean, let's face it, we're trying to help human beings out. We get into it because we want to be helpful and things don't always go to plan. You could be a surgeon or an oncologist or a dentist and your success and failure is very personal. If we fail writing a book, it's like, okay, I guess that's not that big of a deal. But if we do something on a patient, it doesn't hold up as long as it should. They're upset. We're upset. There's a lot of vicarious transfer of that. It's hard. It's a very hard profession. I love it because without it, I wouldn't have the friends and connections that I've had because it's beautiful and that you get to build long-term relationships with people. You and I are examples of that. You know, I get to see you on a regular cadence. It's always positive and it's open over so many years. So it's like, hey, I wrote a new book and oh my God, Kate, I'm going to buy it now. You think about it. You have better friends than me that you see less than you see me because we see each other regularly. And that's really neat. And it's typically not for something bad. It's a cleaning. It's like getting your hair done. It's not like an invasive thing per se. So it's cool that we have that in that profession, those relationships. All right, Craig, this has been so wonderful. What is one activity that you would suggest someone do that is 10 minutes or less to help them become a better leader? Give some positive encouragement, like that saying, catch people doing things right. So if you're listening to this and you're about to go into work or you're at work or you're on a, in a weekend, even if you're not at work, you can pick up your phone and text three or four team members and let them know ways in which you appreciate them. Hey, Sally, I know I'm not really good at this, but I just want to let you know it's been six and a half years we've been working together and I really appreciate the fact that you're blah, blah, and blah. Find ways to appreciate people. That which you appreciate appreciates in value. So your leadership is defined by how much better you can make people. And as I said before, people are starving for appreciation. And if you do a text, you won't upset the extrovert or the introvert. Everybody would feel positive about a text of appreciation. And if it's out of your nature to do so, let them know it's out of your nature. Just say, hey, I'm not good at this, but I'm just thinking about it. And really mean it. If it's empty and you can't find a way to appreciate that person, don't fake it because they'll feel it. Find a way to appreciate them. I've had people on my team that were the least valuable players that I wanted them out of my organization. And what I realized after careful examination is that they're just in the wrong job. They were on the wrong seat of that bus. And these people who I literally wanted to fire now are indispensable in other areas. So as a leader, point the finger back at yourself and realize, do I have the best fit for this person? Ask your team, what are you great at? What are the hidden talents that you have that you think would be interesting for me to know? And they might say, hey, by the way, I have a knack for spreadsheets and turning them into a color charts with Tableau. Oh, really? Well, I'd be cool because I'm looking at spreadsheets and it drives me crazy. I love to see trend lines. Or I don't know if you knew this, but I, they could tell you, I have 5,000 people on TikTok and I love doing TikTok. Well, great. Let's do TikTok for here. So asking your people, what are their hidden talents? Not that they think would be good for the organization. What are some of the things that you're really good at that you think it would be good for me to just to learn about you? Beautiful. I absolutely love that. As you're talking, I'm like, that could be a whole different episode. I feel like there's so many great little sound bites in this episode, and I'm so happy. And I know that those of you that are listening, you got something out of this episode, something that sparked you to help guide you in your leadership journey. So Dr. Craig, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm coming in in a couple of weeks, I think. 
And there you have it. I told you we dug into so many different topics on this show. And I'm so appreciative to be able to talk to Dr. Craig. He's so interesting. I really value conversations with self-aware leaders who really put in the work to grow themselves, to continuously read, to develop, to grow, to listen to great podcasts, to read great books. I mean, that is what it's all about. It's always about when we grow ourselves, we gain the skills and the knowledge in order to help our people grow and become the best version of themselves. And so I hope that you found some of his questions really interesting. I hope that you wrote some of them down and we'll ponder them. One of the things that I really appreciated that he said is, what is your primary question? I really liked that question. I thought that was really interesting. And think about it. What is your primary question today versus what it was a year ago? And it's going to be different, right? Or it should be different. We should always be growing, learning, and developing, and that question should be changing. But that was an interesting question to ponder as you are developing in your leadership skills and growing your business. If you are very intentional and fully committed to becoming the best version of yourself, to becoming the best leader you can possibly be for yourself and your team, we would love to talk to you about coaching and how coaching is really the key to helping make that happen so that you are able to work with someone on a monthly basis that's going to help support you, guide you. They're going to ask you those great questions. Some of the things that Dr. Craig talked about today, we're going to dig into where you are now, where you want to go, and then what you really need to do in order to make some of those things happen. We would love to have that conversation with you and what that would look like to have a coach guiding you along this journey, whether it's because you're the CEO of the organization and you're growing the business or you lead a team or you just want to grow in your own development, wherever you are in life. We all need coaches. We all need coaches to help us grow and get better in the skills that we have now so that we can become the best version of ourselves. And so if you're interested in learning about what that would look like for you, please go to floydcoaching.com and we would love to have a conversation. You'll talk to one of our coaches and go from there. So floydcoaching.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Until next time, lead with culture.